Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hi friends, welcome back to our study of the book of Philippians. Uh, we are meeting this week from my garage, and uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure, it's a joy to be able to continue this study with you during this time. We are in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30, and we are studying the book of Philippians through the lens of partnership in advancing the gospel. We have tried to look at each of these particular sections of text through that lens that as Paul writes this, that is what he is desiring. He's desiring the Philippians to enter into partnership for the purpose of advancing the gospel in their lives as well as in the lives of the community and world around them. So as we study today, we also need to remember that this has played out as we have studied in partnership through suffering as well as partnership in the mindset of Jesus. Last week, we were in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And it was there that we said that we need to reflect on Jesus so that we can better reflect Jesus in our mindset and in our daily lives. We learned there that we are no longer to live with selfish ambition or vain conceit, but instead we're to look to others and to be concerned about their needs and their interests. It was there that we discovered that Jesus, in his attitude, did not consider equality with God something to be seized or grasped or held onto, but instead he emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I want you to hold on to that word obedient for our text and our study today. But in that obedience to death on a cross, God honored him. God exalted him to the highest place. And at that highest place, we discovered that every knee would ultimately bow to Jesus. We reflected on Jesus and who he was and his attitude or his mindset so that we in turn could reflect him as well. Well, that's where our study takes us today, is a continuation of how do we, we reflect Jesus as we live out the gospel in our daily lives. It's the same thing that Paul started saying in chapter 1, verse 27. In fact, this is kind of a bracket that ends that conversation that started there. It was there, look at chapter 1, 27, that Paul says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, the way you live your life, let it reflect the gospel that Jesus came to bring. And then he says, so that whether I come to see you or I am absent, I may hear of that you I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, that same mind that we discovered in chapter 2 is the mind of Jesus, in one spirit and in one mind striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel, advancing the gospel through our partnership having the mind of Christ and reflecting that in our lives uh, together. Well, today we start in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, and Paul says, therefore, again, reflecting back on Philippians 2, specifically 5 through 11, but Philippians uh, really 1, 27 through 2, verse 11. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now, we, we said this, that Paul just finished saying that Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Paul is not asking the Philippians to do anything that does not reflect Jesus himself. Now, Paul's known the Philippians. He helped establish the church there. And he knows that part of their relationship, part of their partnership has been their response to the gospel. So here he says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. What's Paul saying here? Well, same thing in verse 27 of chapter 1. Hey, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ uh, so that I know when I'm not with you that you're still living this out. This is a sign of maturity, isn't it? That when no one's looking, uh, we still respond in a way that's consistent with who we are when people are looking. Uh, in fact, this is a sign of maturity in my own kids that when I walk away, um, I can trust that they will make the same kinds of decisions that I would want them to make when I was present and looking over their shoulder. This is a sign of maturity in Christ as well, that as Paul, the teacher, the mentor, as he leaves and is no longer present with them, that they are still reflecting in obedience who Christ is. So as we have talked about advancing the gospel, partnership in advancing the gospel, this comes back to that theme of is the gospel being advanced in our own lives as well? How do you trace your own growth? You can trace it a number of different ways. We mentioned this in week one. You can trace it in how much weight you gain or lose or how old you are or your career trajectory or your level of income. But those of us who are followers of Jesus trace it in how much am I looking like Christ? Am I growing in my maturity of reflecting Jesus? So Paul here says, hey, as I'm gone, obey, continue to, he says, work out your salvation. Now, I think these phrases are synonymous. They're, they're two ways of saying the same thing. Obedience is a response in worship to who Jesus is. In fact, if I were to put an outline on our, our study today, it would be these two principles, that worship and witness are two of the ways that we should respond to the gospel. That in our obedience, we actually show that we worship. And in our obedience, we actually have the opportunity to witness. And both of those advance the gospel. And so here Paul says, obey, as you have always obeyed, so also obey, by extension, when I'm absent. And how do you do that? Well, you work out, you continue to work out your salvation. And this word work here is interesting. In fact, I put the title over this particular lesson, Partners in Our Work. But sometimes when we use the word work, we kind of wonder, does this mean I'm working for my salvation? No, we know that that's not what Paul means. In fact, that would contradict much of what Paul has said elsewhere. But what does he mean here? Well, it goes back to that theme of partnership. God has already worked in us through Christ. God has already brought us salvation. However, we have the opportunity to worship God in response to that gracious act, in response to what Jesus has done that we saw in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Working out our salvation is a natural implication or what naturally should follow because of what God has done. We're going to discover that this working partnership is going to continue as Paul later on is going to say in verse 13, it is God who works in you. So this work is not something we do in isolation. In fact, what we discover is when Paul says God works in you, it's actually in y'all. God works among you. 
But we respond to the gospel by living it out, by working out the natural implications in our daily life. Let me give you some examples. So, if salvation in Christ means that you've been forgiven, how do you work that out in your day-to-day life? Well, the, the math would say, well, then you turn and you forgive other people. Uh, that's familiar to us because Jesus teaches us that multiple places, uh, forgive and you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's working out this salvation that we have. Another example, you've been shown patience by God, mercy by God. And so like turn and show patience and, and mercy to other people. Or you've been shown unconditional love, and so in turn love. Or uh, God is holy, and therefore we should respond by reflecting him and and being holy. Uh, You've been served through Jesus. He came to serve. And so we, in turn, reflect that. It makes sense if we've called Jesus teacher and Lord, and we are his disciples. This is working out our salvation. Jesus came and he was compassionate for those who were broken and those who were weak. And and so it makes sense that we work out this salvation that we have been given so freely by turning to those who can't take care of their own needs and helping meet some of those needs on behalf of Jesus. This is what it means to work out our salvation. We do the natural, natural response because of what we've seen in Jesus. We reflect on him. And therefore, we, are, we, we reflect him. Now, we do this, Paul says, with fear and trembling. This is an odd phrase. It comes a little bit from the Old Testament. Paul uses it here and there, not consistently necessarily in how he uses it. But I think here specifically, Paul's referring back to what we saw in verses 10 and 11. That one day, all knees will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But as we reflect Jesus, we are doing that now. So we don't confess someday that Jesus is Lord. We, we confess today. We don't reflect one day his lordship. We reflect it today in our posture of reverence and humility toward him. You see, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he let go of that, became a servant, became one of us, became a servant even to the point of obedience and even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. All we are doing is humbling ourselves in recognition of what Jesus has done and who Jesus really is. We work out our salvation in fear and trembling because we see the majesty of Jesus and we confess it with our words and with our lives. And so this reverence that we have is an acknowledgement that it is God who works with us in partnership And in fact, that's where Paul goes in verse 13. It is God who works in y'all, in you, among you. And and the same God who created the universe, who created us. God is the God who creates, notice, both to his will and to work for his good pleasure. When God comes and he creates. And through Christ and through the spirit, he comes and he recreates in us, a new creation in Christ. He is able to do it according to his will. And he's able to do it according to his pleasure. And my hope is, my prayer is, my faith is this, is that when he recreates us according to the advancement of the gospel, as we mature in Christ, he's able to look and say, "Mm, that is good. It is good. According to his good pleasure. 
That's what brings Paul joy. That's what causes Paul to rejoice is when those who are believers, those who he has brought to Christ, continue to grow in their maturity and look more like Jesus. This this is what brings Paul joy is when the gospel is advanced in those who are partners with him. So as we continue to study, we discover that we want to reflect God. We want to reflect his nature and his, uh, his uh, characteristics in our own life. Well, Paul gets, like every preacher does, he gets practical with this, with some of the things they struggle with. And he goes on to say in verse 14, so do everything. And I think when Paul says do all things, uh, he means everything. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We know from our family story, from the the story of faith, that this is something that we struggle with, that we will look back on what God has done in faith and see that God has delivered us. And yet we will look at our present circumstance in the midst of suffering or even our present relationships with one another, and we can turn and we can grumble and we can argue. This was true of Israel in the wilderness, which is, I think, where this originally echoes from is that we can look to Israel in the wilderness, God had delivered them out of Egypt, and yet they're in the wilderness in this moment going, God, uh, is he going to feed us? Is he going to give us water to drink? And they complain against Moses, his servant, and they don't reflect the image of God as his people. In fact, they do the opposite of that. They act as if God is not powerful. They act as if God is not faithful. They act as if God is not good. They act as if God is not loving. And in their grumbling and disputing, they reflect a different nature, not a nature of faith. So Paul here, in looking out for the maturity of the Philippians, encourages them to do everything without grumbling or disputing. This is, by the way, the opposite of partnership as well. Now, his purpose for this is, number one, worship, to reflect the nature of God. But two, it's also for the purpose of witness. Remember what I said, our obedience gives us opportunity to worship and also opportunity to witness. So he says in verse 15, you do this so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, many of these phrases come from the Old Testament story as well. The people of Israel were meant to be the children of God. They were meant to reflect his characteristics. They were meant to be a sacrifice to him that was a worthy sacrifice without blemish. They were meant to be blameless and innocent. But in their complaining and arguing and in their rejection of reflecting God's nature as his children— they're described as being a crooked and twisted generation. We're called not to follow in those footsteps, but rather to look to Jesus and follow him in his mindset and in his attitude uh, as as worship as, as well as as witness to the world. So this becomes a witness as people see us and they see us reflect the, the relationship that we have with God and they see us reflect his character This becomes what Paul says in this crooked and twisted generation. You will shine like the stars. You'll stand out. People will notice you because you reflect the light that is found in Christ. You'll become a reflection. So this entire time, Paul has been encouraging the Philippians to advance the gospel in themselves, in their own lives, so that as that gospel is advanced, as they work with God to advance it in their lives, so that they can in turn advance it in the world around them. 
I love as Paul uses this metaphor of shining as the stars or shining as lights in the darkness because it's so vivid for us. Uh, This is coming, by the way, out of the book of Daniel. Paul is stacking one Old Testament illusion on top of another. But this this is our call as God's people to offer hope, to offer wisdom, to offer life, to offer truth. Uh, Paul goes on to say, we hold fast to the word of life. That hold fast could also be translated to hold out. And perhaps it's both. We hold on to God's word of hope, but we also hold it out for other people as well. And so this word of life is something, this word of who Jesus is and what he came to do is something that we as God's people are committed to doing in our lives and extension as we live out our lives among other people as well, shining like the stars in the darkness. I'm reminded of the story of the Titanic, and, and no, not the movie, but the story of the Titanic of the lifeboats. The 14 different lifeboats uh, came off of the Titanic, but only one of those 14 came back to get more people who were in the water and to rescue them. That lifeboat was lifeboat number 14. I'm actually, I was told of a church one time who had a ministry of compassion, of meeting needs of people and, and in outreach opportunities. Um, they, they called that particular ministry lifeboat 14. Now, I love the, love the name, but I, I love the heart more. And that is this, that we live our lives knowing that we have the life that people need to hold on to and that we hold on to it ourselves, yes, but we also take it and we hold it out so that other people can grab hold of it and find life themselves as well. We are called to shine in the midst of this darkness today. And there's a temptation that comes with walking through the wilderness. And that temptation is complaining and arguing. God is faithful. He has rescued us through Christ Christ on the cross. And we have this promise of resurrection, this promise of a, of a promised land, eternal life with him. And in this in-between time, let us not be complaining as if God is not faithful, as if God is not good, as if God is not loving, as if God is not present. No, we will reflect him as his children. We will look like him and become a light to the world around us. Paul says, do this so that when the day of Christ comes, I can be proud that I didn't run or labor. Notice how ministry is hard. I didn't run or labor labor in vain. Not that this was all purposeless. Because why? Because I wanted to advance the gospel in you, Philippians, as well as in the lives of those you impact. So don't let my run and my work among you be all empty and in vain. Well, we want that to be true as well. This is what causes Paul joy. It should bring us joy when our running and our labor causes others to advance the gospel in themselves first and in the lives of others secondarily. Verse 17, he says, so even if I'm like Jesus, poured out like a drink drink offering, no, we don't offer drink offerings at church on Sunday morning. I have spilled my coffee at Christ Church, I'll admit that. Um, but Paul uses this metaphor of a drink offering saying that my life has been poured out as a, an act of sacrifice. Now, drink offerings were given usually in companion with a burnt offering or a grain offering. And so Paul uses the metaphor of a burnt offering or a grain offering for the lives of the Philippians. My, my life, he says, comes alongside your sacrifice of your faith. And I've poured out my life in worship as well. Notice, obedience is both worship and witness. It's a response to the gospel. So Paul says, even if my whole life is poured out, 
next to your life, the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad. I rejoice with you all. And likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Why? Because the gospel is going to be advanced through us and through those acts of obedience and sacrifice. Well, this leads us to verses 19 through 30, and we won't spend as much time on these verses, but what Paul is going to do, uh, sometimes people have a tendency to just gloss over, but Paul gives them two examples of individuals who are already doing this in their lives. Now, we could put other people that we're familiar with who are living out the gospel in daily ways, natural outpourings of responding and working out salvation in their daily lives. We could we could name names. Some of you have people, grandparents or parents or uh, those who are teachers or preachers or those who are friends who have gone before you. But for the church in Philippi, it looked like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Notice in verses 19 through 23, Timothy is set up as an example. Now, he looks like Jesus from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Look at some of the things that Paul says about him. Other people seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy, verse 22, how as a son to a father, he served with me for the gospel. You know that he was genuinely concerned for your welfare, verse 20. So Timothy looks like Jesus. They're to look to Timothy so that they could learn from his example. In the same way, another person that Paul sends to the Philippians, in fact, he's already sent him, he's bringing this letter, is Epaphroditus. Notice Epaphroditus. He's near death, like Jesus, who became obedient to death on a cross. In fact, he nearly, verse 30, died for the work of Christ. And he did this risking his life to complete, there's that advancement idea, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This partnership that Paul has with the Philippians involves the sending of these two at two different times before he finally will come to them. And Paul sets each of them up as examples. He'll later on say in chapter 3, verse 17, join in imitating me and then keep your eyes on those who walk according to the the example you have in us. So keep your eyes on those who walk according to this example. Here are two who live according to the example of Christ by being willing to surrender their lives, risk their lives for the sake of the gospel, seeking the interests of the Philippians and their own faith. Well, as we dive into next week, uh, we want to look ahead and just encourage you to to think about some of the the things that we've learned today. Uh, We're going to discover next week that Paul is going to set himself up as a third example they can look to of those who reflect Philippians 2, 1 through 11. He's going to talk about how all of the, the things of status that he had that he, those are all rubbish. He's emptied himself of them, like Christ who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And like Timothy who looked out for their needs instead of his own, and same thing with Epaphroditus. So we're going to look at Paul's example next week, uh, starting in uh, the next few uh, chapters, the next few verses. But before we get there, I want to ask you these three questions as you reflect and even as you uh, come to the end of our time together today and reflect on this text. I want you to ask the question, what does it look like for you this week to look like Jesus in the way you interact with those outside of your family as well as those inside of your family? What does it look like to look like Christ? How does your obedience to Jesus become not only an act of worship, but also an act of witness? And here's the other thing. How can you reflect the light of Jesus during a dark time? 
How can you reflect the light of Jesus during such a dark time? Does this look like avoiding grumbling and complaining? Does this look like being grateful for the, the provision and the faithfulness and the promise of God? So asking yourself those questions, what does it look like to look more like Jesus as we worship and as we witness to him? And how do we reflect the light of Jesus during such a dark time? My hope is, is that God will continue to encourage you through our time together. I know that uh, this has been good uh, for my heart uh, to study this with you. Again, just an invitation. If you have a prayer request, if you have a need, please reach out to me. I'd love to uh, have a conversation with you or to pray for you. And we'll be back next time. And I'll look forward to continuing our study together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.